Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. apologies it's apology to you and apology to our listeners because i said that this week was going to be our review pod of 15 love and the apology is i haven't been i haven't been able to watch i haven't been able to watch i haven't even been able to go on amazon and find it to even get ready to watch it yeah well i mean i can review it it's very good and everyone should watch it <laughs> now you do know i'm i'm gonna watch i am gonna watch it as soon as i can but you have had people get it. you might say yeah but of course if they're contacting me they're not going to say that was rubbish but you've said that the reviews have been really positive oh yeah no there's been plenty of people who have said okay you know yeah i'll sit and you know i'll, I'll watch a couple of episodes tonight and then at midnight message me saying watch all six done <laughs> amazing girlfriend maybe go to the next one to the next one we couldn't stop um so that's cool um and that's what we were sort of, what that's what i was hoping for with um the production company that um that created it because they have that's what they do is they churn out these masterpiece dramas and they really do make incredible shows so i think one of the most recent ones is the diplomat which i very much enjoyed um as well as bodyguard and line of duty and yeah they're just that's what they do so i thought right they'll they'll be fine <laughs> with that uh, it's gonna be great it's just about making the world believable and that was my job I knew the drama was gonna be outstanding so um yeah that's that's where we've got to and it seems like the world is um it's very believable I think listening to what people have said about it and uh you know watching it sort of play out I do think that actually the shots are in terms of the tennis shots that they're playing and the technique is a lot less important than the setting. I think the environment and as I say, the world right. is the most important thing. And we spent a lot of time trying to get that right. They were really determined on that. Um, you know, of course we tried our best to, you know, with the tennis shots as well, but I think there's a little more forgiving, but the place, the environment, the center courts, you know, a sort of a, a version of Philip Chatrier, a version of center court mashed together with Eastbourne. It's very, it's quite, it's funky. It's funky. <laughs> it's weird. If you know the two places very well, it is bizarre when you look at it. Um, because we filmed Eastbourne and we wanted it to look at, at, at like a representation of Centre Court, not identical to. It was, as I say, a version of, but something that was at least recognisable. So, um, yeah, no, I'm chuffed. Everybody seems to be delighted. That's amazing, isn't it? You sent, I think you sent me a screenshot of, as you say, filming at Eastbourne to represent Centre Court. And I remember just staring at it. it, it but yeah, that is so important because people, these are iconic places that you're covering. And people, if they believe that, as you say, they can be a little more forgiving on other bits because they know that we're dealing with actors rather than professional tennis players but it sounds like look I'm not even going to start to judge it or review it because I haven't seen it I'm going you know a similar thing happened to me I wasn't reviewing it but I mentioned that um, Judy Murray gave me a copy of her book The Wild Card and I thought right I'm going to take it with me to Madrid for the paddle and on the way back for the paddle, I'm going to treat myself, no computer, no work, no planning, I'm going to read the book, just going to sit there. I've got a couple of hours. I was, like, I was quite excited. I'm going to sit in the corner by the window. Off we go. And 
obviously I had one of those flights when someone decided to talk to me. Now, I've told you about the conversation. I would say most of which I can't repeat on here because I was next to an eccentric, lovely gentleman from Belgium called Guy in his 60s. Boy, has he lived a life. And when he saw my book, he said, oh, I know her. And I said, oh, who? I know Judy. And then when I said... I know Judy. He sort of backed off a bit because I don't think he does know Judy. <laughs> but he was a massive tennis fan, very obsessed with Carlos Alcaraz. And basically my one hour, 50 minutes was gone. And I didn't I didn't even read a page because, do you, I mean, I don't know. Are you different? Can you just shut someone down? Because I there wasn't anyone in between us, right? There was a spare seat. Are you good at just saying look sorry I'm reading here or would you have talked to him for the one hour 52 minute plane journey I I don't know it, it so depends on your mood in terms of what you want to happen doesn't it sometimes I just wanted to read the yeah, book yeah sometimes <laughs> it just is oh just not the day for it but I feel like it happens so infrequently that when a oh. chatter is next to me I'm I'm all in um, at least it was only a couple of hours. Uh, it depends, because right? if your life has been so busy, which which yours has recently, lots of work, very busy season, um, and you just want a bit of peace and quiet, and that's where flights are quite good, as you say. You know, there's no no contact, and I mean, I know you can get Wi-Fi and stuff now, but really, it's it's very easy to just have a couple of hours to yourself, and then that happens. It, it can be a little bit annoying, but I mean, it depends. It depends if they've got a good chat or not. So um, I think I well, I tend to embrace it. I look. I'd done twenty-eight days of work without a day off, so I was really excited about these two hours. Um, look, he had stories. We had stories from Jane Birkin to he loves his tennis. He was a tennis pro hundreds of years ago on a Greek island. I mean, his stories were varied, were sort of jaw-dropping at times, were kind of crazy. But I think because I'd planned in my mind I was going to sort of curl up by the window and just read the book for two hours, I was a bit like. Oh, um, yeah, no, interesting, crazy. And he, he loved his tennis. So we did a lot about Carlos Alcaraz and all those bits and pieces. So it was very nice. But so I haven't watched 15 <laughs> Just Love. like work. I just, I've, yeah, it was. haven't watched 15 Love. And I haven't read the wild card at all because of this lovely gentleman who's off to stay with his daughters in Cambridge here. But yes, yeah, some of the stories which I've told you away from the pod wouldn't be suitable, I don't think, for the pod. Um, in terms of... Where we are in the tennis, but you know something, when we finished last week's episode, I thought we didn't talk about, and I thought we should, and I think it's probably still relevant this week, was um, Amarissa Toth and the Hungarian Grand Prix and Zhang Shui, because it was, you know, it, it was a big deal, and you ended up getting different stories, it's been changed to make it look worse than it is, it is as bad as it came across, and at the centre you've got... Zhang Shui, bless her, who is just going through a really, really torrid time, both on and off the court. Yeah, it was um, just just a bizarre. It was bizarre one because there was a a number of things going on, wasn't there? I mean, with you know, you you never really understand. I mean, look, it's it's not like the umpire didn't go and check the ball mark in this match. I mean, this is what happened. If you haven't seen it, it was a massive altercation that ended up with uh, Zhang Shui just withdrawing from the match because she just felt that she couldn't continue, was getting very distressed on the court. And it seems like all, not all players, but lots of players have come out and, and defended um, defended uh, Zhang. And it, yeah, it was just a bit bizarre, really, because um, the umpire did come down and check the ball marks. So as far as they're concerned, doing their job um, and just said it was out when it was clearly in. Oh, so in. 
Yeah, I mean, so, so, I mean on the line, so, just I mean, plumb. it's impossible. Just plumb. Um, I was trying to was trying to work out what actually happened. Now there is there a lot of the debate that happens between player and umpire is that there's a specific rule that umpires need to follow, which is is there a gap between the mark and the line? And now this can prove an issue on clay courts when you use marks, the only time you use marks, um, because sometimes, depending on the lines, clay can actually come out from underneath the line. So you sort of compress the line, the ball compresses the line when it lands, um, and then as it lifts off, a little bit of clay can come out from underneath the line and sort of form what looks like a gap between the, um, the ball and the line. Now, this was happening in the reverse, so that doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> because the mark was in. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I, that was the only thing I could think of is that maybe that had happened. But as I say, that tends to happen when the ball is sort of almost out or it's very, it's very close. And that's where you get a lot of dispute between player and, and, co- and, and umpire. But this one um, looked like half the ball was on the line, looked like there was no gap. And also these types of lines are not the sort of line that does that if you know what I mean, as in they're, they're, they're fixed yeah. in a different way to the court. And anyway, I was trying to come up with a reason. That was all I could come up with. But it was absolutely bizarre. And then Toth celebrating because Shang is withdrawing uh, due to, I, I don't know what the official reason was in the end, due to illness, but clearly she was struggling with her breathing, looking quite distressed, um, was also incredibly bizarre. Oh, and I forgot, she wiped out the mark. That's, now that's, that's <laughs> what I was so going on. about. Now, so, cause, because we've, some people say yes, that they were edited with so the umpire had been down and checked the mark and go back and gone back up and made the decision so therefore it was within Toth's right to rub out the mark surely so it wasn't mistaken for another mark later on yeah quite a normal thing to do uh, particularly if you know that more mark is in <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, you get rid of that mark is what you do I think the problem was is that Shang asked her directly I said Shang. I was commentating on Shang last night, uh, who is a male <laughs> Chinese tennis player. Uh, no, Zhang um, asked her directly not to clear the mark, which she yeah. obviously heard, uh, and then decided to clear the mark anyway. So that's not really very cool. Um, no. But it's because she knew the mark was in. This <laughs> why, because it was it was half on the line. So um, yeah, I, I felt like. Uh, she got a little more stick than she deserved, but that was probably to do with the celebrating at the end of the match. I mean, if she'd just been yeah. normal about it and asked if Shang was all right and shaken her hand, uh, then fine. But clearly and is there's that a little just, bit... But is that just sort of naivety? Because wasn't it her first WTA tour level win and she's young and she's Hungarian? I'm not making excuses for her. I'm just sort of saying in, in the... Is that just inexperience and, and naivety? Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. Just a little bit of attitude, and sometimes, you know, with uh, with the younger players and the more inexperienced players, they're just super competitive. You know, all of this sort of stuff goes on in juniors all the time because juniors are just so desperate to win at all costs, and you know, and also you've got plenty of events where you're calling your own lines or you have very inexperienced yeah. umpires, and you can get away with uh, an, an awful lot. That's just how it goes. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it was, I, I did feel like the, um, I don't think there was a pile on, on her at all, but I felt like the criticism from other players was uh, a little bit harsh, but I think that was more focused at the fact that she did celebrate afterwards. I didn't have so much of an issue of her wiping away the mark. I mean, it's bold when you've been asked by a player who outranks you significantly, uh, not yeah. to remove the mark and you do, but from her, it's not like the umpire hadn't come down yet. You know, the, the umpire had been down and said it's out and she's gone 
all right, done, move on. Because after that, really, there's nothing that can be done. I think the other thing here with Jung is we have to remember that she's going through an awful lot. She burst into tears at Roland Garros when she lost. I think, wasn't that her sort of 13th or 14th match defeat in a row? She hasn't been back to China for many years, going back to the Olympics when she stayed and and, and didn't go back to China beforehand. So there's there's a lot going on. She's such a lovely lady. We saw her tears. So I think a lot of the support from players is because they they know the human. They know the person without the tennis racket who's going through so much. And then you sort of have to look at it and think, what is the best for Zhang right now? Is it She's obviously trying to turn things around and it's all she knows. It's all she knows is tennis and, and getting out there and playing. But it, it, it's so difficult to watch and she's obviously desperately looking for that performance, that win, that something that will start to change things around. It was an extraordinary end, wasn't it? And if we focus on Zhang for a little bit, is it... You know, it was amazing how it escalated, you know, that little bit of a confrontation. And it really did yep. get out of control for her quite quickly to the point where she had she just couldn't continue. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it does show that she is obviously dealing with an awful lot and that it's right there on the surface and that it doesn't take a huge amount um, for her to get into you know, a bit of a, a distressed situation. I mean, it, look, it was very bizarre, very unusual to to have that happen. You think when you've got marks on the court that, you know, you're, you're guaranteed that everything's going to be called fairly. And, you know, it happens like that. And, you know, Zhang's not going to be used to it because, she, as I say, she's been operating at a very different level for a long time. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it, it was definitely difficult difficult to watch. But I'm sort of gl- I'm glad that she withdrew from the match rather than allowing it to yeah. get worse, if you know what I mean. If she knew where that was going and it was looking, you know, like it was she was just getting more and more worked up, then I think it's great that she just said, no, I'm not continuing this tennis match. I'm, I'm going off that. You know, it's not more important than no. than her mental state. No, 100% not. Now, you, um, people can't see this. I can. You, you, we are 10 minutes or so and you've yawned quite a few times. Now, <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's what I've been saying. It, it possibly could be. But you're currently working overnights, right? Yes, working on Atlanta um, at the moment. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's been really good actually. We, we've got great, great, great sunshine. Yeah, that was what I was supposed to say. Yeah, so brain's just a little bit slow um, <laughs> this morning. But uh, no, we've had some had some great matches. Very enjoyable. Um, you know, local boy Chris Eubanks is uh, is back, and he's back as a little bit of a superstar. So that's been been really fun we had Isna losing in the first round that's never happened before in the no in no, the tournament gosh. so uh it, I mean it's a bonkers record that was his he's played up until he lost yesterday he played in all 12 events reached nine finals and won six titles silly wow and and you've got Nishikuri oh yes Kay's back of course you've got Nishikuri's back he wanted she came back. back won a challenger yep and now he, he's, he's won his first... Was it Jordan Thompson came through in straight sets against yeah, tough Jordan match. Thompson? Tell you what, a good level really that was. Match. Good level, six and six. That's good. And he said, look, I've, I've got no goals. I just want to be out here. And his reference, looking at the other guys, the Nadals and everything, going through the injuries and wanting to be back out there and, and wanting to play again and, and wanting to be part of it. And I think he's, what, 33 now, Kane Shikori? And I always... I don't think there's many people that didn't love watching him, especially when he was peak. But is it nice to see that hunger and that desire? Because he's now a dad, he got married, had a little one. And it's nice to see that hunger and desire that's got him back. And he said, as I say, that there's no goals here. He just wants to get back playing and see how he does. Yeah, I think he was. He talks a little bit after the match about 
the belief of getting like believing that he can compete with the top players again. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it has just been a bit ravaged by injury, his career, but he's also been able to put together enough seasons back to back that we have seen the best of him. I don't think it's like a Del Potro situation where you just go, we don't know what he could have achieved really. We just don't. Yeah. Um, you know, he was able to win a grand slam, but he was capable of just so, so much more. Of course he was. Um, but for Nishikori, it feels like we have seen what he was capable of. So he's just about had enough. It's clearly been incredibly frustrating. Um, and he feels like he's got a little more in the tank. Um, you know, he has a very physical game, so he's going to need to be feeling fit and fresh and lively when he's up against these youngsters. Um, but, you know, he he is. He's, he's in tremendous shape. His movement's outrageous. So in terms of how the game has moved on in the last even just three, four years, it feels like he's the sort of player that will be able to deal with it um, because he's always moved very, very well. Um, but yeah, it's just such a great personality, big name to, to have back on the court and um, yeah, back to winning ways. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Now, also, big thank you to you today, because despite the fact you work through the night, we're squeezing the pod in when uh, my fellas have gone to tennis camp this morning. They've got a little morning at tennis camp. They went because their friend was going. And interestingly, when I dropped them off, um, all they were talking about, this little group of boys around sort of seven, eight, nine. Guess who they were talking about? Guess the name that they were talking about. Carlos Alcaraz. Of course they were. Now, this is, I would say, six months ago. It was all Nadal. It, it, it wasn't, you know, now it was all, I want to play like him. I'm going to get a racket like him. I want to, yeah. just all the talk. It is, now Akras, who went from the grass at Wimbledon, went off different surface, different competition, the Hopman Cup. He's still going. He's still smiling, taking everything in his stride. But the impact, the impact he has had, and I come back to his only 20. I mean, this was a bunch of, of kids and all they were talking about is Carlos Alcaraz and, and wanting to be like Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, and look, I put him in the category of particularly Nadal and Federer because I believe they're the only ones in this category that he can win a six-love set and I commentated on a six-love set that he produced at the French Open that was very, very quick and it can be so entertaining that yeah. everybody loves it. He won the six star set of the French. <laughs> the crowd had had a great time. We were having a whale of a time in the commentary box. <laughs> no one else can do that. Not even Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Yannick Sinner. They win a six love set. It's just professional job done. Alcaraz wins a six love set and it is phenomenal. You've got hot shots in there. You have just ridiculous gets that you never thought possible. You have oohs and ahs all the way through. And, um, and that is really the big reason I think why he cuts through if you go and watch an Alcaraz match if you are lucky enough or if you sit down at home and you watch it or you listen to it whatever it is you know that you're going to get something pretty fantastic like there's going to be moments in there yes it might not be you know vintage and and the best and the classic like we saw in the final but 
you just know that it's going to be really enjoyable. Um, and as I say, you only get that with, with Federer and Nadal. You know, even Nadal just completely destroying people on Philippe Chatrier, losing three games over a best of five set match. The crowd have had an amazing time. Like everybody's loved it. You know, do you know what I mean? And it was the yeah. same with Federer and he would roll through people in a very different way because he'd roll through people very quickly. It was 45 minutes, but it was an amazing 45 minutes to watch. It's, um, I can't remember who this was. One of the legends of the game has said they're tipping Alcaraz for 15 Grand Slam titles. And that's if he keeps the hunger and he, he stays fit. Do you have a number? Yeah, pick a number. Pick a number at this stage, really. I mean, double figures... I think it seems a bit silly to go less than that, but you never really know, do you? I mean, um, yeah, assuming he stays fit, um, you could definitely see 15. He's by far and away the best player in the world now. Um, And that's a very interesting place to be in. We haven't been in that territory, really, um, because even going into Wimbledon, Djokovic was the favourite and significant favourite because of that surface. Now, every single surface, every single tournament that Alcaraz is in, he is the comfortable favourite to win, which is where Djokovic was a couple of years ago, possibly bar, the, bar Roland Garros because you obviously had Nadal around. But yeah, I mean, 10, 15, who knows? A lot, really. It's just all going to be about whether somebody comes along and somebody responds. And you look to Sinner and Runa um, to see if they're going to be able to do that. Not sure. I mean, that's a bit, it's a, it's a big difference between them. I know that Sinner's beaten Alcaraz and it feels like there's a bit of a rivalry with the game styles and everybody's trying to make it happen and that Wimbledon poster, they're trying to make it happen. Um, But um, it feels like Sinner's quite far away. I think it's interesting that Felix Auger-Aliassime recently said that it's, it's a good thing for tennis because it's almost sort of added to the fire that burns because they don't want to get left behind. They want to compete with him. They don't want him just to race away with everything. And it's almost given the players around him. I mean, I can't speak for all the players, nor can Ogelia seem, but he said it's, it's a good thing because it's kind of ignited something in him. They don't want him just to, they want to be part of the conversation. So Alcaraz doing what he's doing will hopefully take a number of these players with him and we will get the rivalries that people are trying to create at this stage it, yes hope, oh, hopefully you're saying sorry I thought you were making a statement yeah. saying we will get the rivalries no, no, no. hopefully no, hopefully <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully we'll get the rivalries yeah I mean look a rivalry can be that you're the person that always gets beaten in the final like that <laughs> that can be how it goes you know like um you, you just don't know really in terms of what um, of how it's going to pan out. I mean, there are plenty of amazing players that, you know, were consistently in those finals. I mean, could you argue that, I mean, look at Andy Murray's record at the Australian Open, five finals, no title. I mean, I know he was losing to different people. I mean, but still, it wasn't all just one person. But but still, um, it would be nice to have that. But yeah, as I say, I think we're quite away, away from that. And Alcaraz is going to keep improving. I mean, it's ludicrous what he did at Wimbledon absolutely ludicrous um he's just going to get better and better on every single surface and i think he's going to get better faster than the likes of runa and sinner are going to improve so i think the gap's just going to widen over the next couple of years then it might change um but alcaraz is going to get to his peak as quickly as possible i just don't think anything's going to stop him um he's as i say every year we're going to see a better carlos alcaraz and that's unbelievably amazing for the sport of tennis and I'm so excited to see it I just don't think there's going to be a plateau for a very very long time until he's like 25 probably um and then 
uh, as I say, you would then be banking on the likes of Sinner or Ru- and Runa or somebody else to be peaking later in their career that could maybe, um, you know, catch up a little bit. But I, I just, I think he's going to stretch away. And we're going to see less, understandably so, of Djokovic. I mean, he's recently pulled out of Canada, hasn't he? And it, it's it's all about the slams. And it's understandable at the age he is now at 36 that he is just going to tailor his season to peak for the slams, which is now what he needs and, and what he wants. I mean, it, it took a while for it to happen. I think especially after what happened at Wimbledon, he realises that he's got to be peaking at exactly the right time. He could be nothing less than perfect if he is going to be coming up against Alcaraz. Yeah, sure. I mean, he now is in a very different um, period of his career where he's not the favourite. I think you could probably argue he's a favourite for the Australian Open because, you know, it's Melbourne Park and he's just dominated yeah. there. Um, but we sort of thought that at Wimbledon this year, a surface that was completely unknown, really, to Alcaraz, the fourth time playing on that surface. So you can't really argue <laughs> that a venue is going to give Djokovic that much more of an edge when you know he's won a huge amount of Wimbledons as well. So I don't really think that holds any water. I think we probably will still say it because you just never know how Djokovic, how well Djokovic is going to play in Australia, in, in Australia, and you expect to see the best of Djokovic there. It just sort of is a guarantee. The best he can possibly produce will come out uh, on Rod Laver. That's just what happens. But whether that's enough is a massive question mark now. Um, it's going to if Alcaraz produces his best or even near his best, that's going to be good enough. And so you've got to think, well, number one, if he's fit and healthy, probably will produce something near his best. Which uh, you know, w- will Djokovic ever win a slam again? Haha, who knows? I, I don't mean haha as oh, in haha he won't win a slam. Just as in what an extraordinary <laughs> change to thinking oh he's going to keep racking these up and all of a sudden and look this could happen to Alcaraz. We all go oh he's going to win fifteen. He's going to have he's just going to be out on his own winning everything and you, you don't know who's going to appear. I mean you think back to twenty nineteen. You know, Alcaraz was, uh, you know, just a glint in Djokovic's eye. It's crazy, isn't it? It, it, it's exciting and it's crazy and I think the US Open is going to be fascinating. I want to talk to you about drug tests. Do you know why I want to talk to you about drug tests? Yeah, we've had another ban. Yeah. Um, Michael Emer. Michael Emer banned for missing three tests. He put a lengthy post on social media explaining. So for those people, there'll be people listening in the tennis world, there's not. Explain how this works with having to let people know what's going on and where you are and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's a lot, right? So you you have to fill out this thing called whereabouts. And whereabouts is very, very difficult to do when you are in a sport where you're traveling all of the time. If you're in a a much more seasoned sport uh, or a team sport or whatever, logistics are, are much easier and far less likely to change. So what happens is you have to give an hour of every day to the World Anti-Doping Association um, and you give them an hour where they can randomly appear and drugs test you. They don't come every day. They come randomly. Um, They could come four, five, six times in a year. They could come 20. You you just don't know. Uh, You don't know where they're going to come. And the point is that they can turn up. And it is very important that you do not know that they're arriving because you can tamper with stuff, you can take things that can change uh, the chemical makeup, or you can, you know, dig out some different pee from somebody else or from yourself that you've <laughs> taken at a different time, or, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, because yeah. it's just urine samples for the, for, for whereabouts. Uh, oh, well, I mean, they can do blood tests, but anyway, uh, we'll just focus on that. And um, 
yeah, so you, you have, and you have to be very specific. So I remember when I was young and I learned, a, I learned a story about somebody who was at IMG Academy and they had their address listed at IMG Academy and WADA turned up um, and they couldn't find them on site. So that's a missed test because, and WADA's argument is, well, I mean, IMG is a big place. I mean, it takes a long time to walk around it. You have to be very specific with, you know, I'm at this hotel um you, uh, hotels are a bit easier because they can obviously get your name and your number and they can come up to the room um however uh yeah it, it, with various venues so what happened with michael ema is that um he didn't update his whereabouts when he had a late change of a hotel room and this is for strike number three so whilst you can absolutely see on strike number three how you could sympathize with him how there were you know it was a late change of the hotel room he assumed that his agent had been informed when his agent hadn't been informed who does take charge of the whereabouts and i think it is fair enough to expect uh you know a member of your team to be who's dealing with the logistics of where you're going to be at every minute of the day to be doing the, the whereabouts. What happens is, is that players tend to do it between 6 and 7 a.m. Or I did it between 5 and 6 a.m. because I was a bit, you know, I like to get up early and, you know, at half six, I might just go for a run randomly and wow. forget. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you do it early because you're just much less likely to have popped to the, a coffee shop or you, know, you can still then live your life the rest of the day because you can do what you want. And, um, yeah, so he had a very, very late change. He went to the hotel that he was supposed to be in and that was on his whereabouts form. And he got there. They said, no, no, you're not booked in here. You're booked at the secondary hotel uh, at this site. So he went there. And then the next day, um, you know, WADA were there trying to find him and they were at the different hotel. So that's a strike. It just so happened it was his third strike. Three strikes. If you're if you miss three tests, you get a ban because they say that is too many that you should be. That, that seems like you're avoiding avoiding tests. Um, and he's been banned for, for 18 months, which is, you know, absolutely brutal um, in terms of that's, that is going to define his career. Because like he said in his post, it's 18 months out, but then you've got to work back. It's not like everyone's going to give you wild cards because you've been banned for a doping offence, as it were, because you've um, you've missed your tests and, and that's it. I mean, is that how how you understand it i know you've you've not necessarily been involved with wada but it it's it, it's a tough one to see really that, that that's the reason however he hasn't explained the first two strikes i think it's you know when um so i guess is is this the same in other countries with points on your license and if you get if you're speeding or something you get three points and that yeah. uh, i don't actually i don't actually have any points but when you get to a certain, is it 12. 9 or 12? 12, you get banned, right? So if you got to 9, as I said, I don't have any, which is wonderful, but if you got to 9, you'd be extra cautious, wouldn't you? Because you, you know, one more one more strike and I'm not going to be able to drive. And that's, yeah. it, it's not it's not career defining, but it's very inconvenient if you're shuttling around children or you're going to work and everything. So you'd be more aware. So on that note, I would have thought there would have been heightened to it. And the second one, I understand... And I don't, you sound like you did it for yourself. I understand a team takes responsibilities. Because remember with Maria Sharapova, she said it was her agent, it was on a holiday in Barbados, who hadn't seen the new list of drugs that had been added to the list and so wasn't put on. I just feel something like that. And I know you've got a lot to think about with practice courts and practice partners and tournaments and flights. But I just feel something like that I would take control of like your agent can happen them for them to book your hotels or your flights but I, I just think in terms of my whereabouts updating it I just feel not that I don't have any sympathy for him but I feel it's something I would want to take charge of 
Look, it's a lot of work. It is. And, you know, your plans can change and you're talking every single day. Also, um, you know, it, it's it's difficult to, to update things. Um, you know, like it's not if you give them between six and seven a.m. and at five a.m. you can't sleep. So you decide to go because you're jet lagged or whatever and you decide to go f- for a walk. You can't then update it and say, I'm not going to be here at six and seven. I'll do a later time. So like, you're you're bound to stay there at that point. There's a, you have a certain amount of notice you can give them, but you can't at late notice. So. It is a little bit restrictive. Um, look, I totally agree with you in that once you're on strike three and you know you've only got one chance left and you know the ridiculous risk you're running because that is 18 months. That is just a, sta- a standard procedure. And the point is, is that they build in three strikes. I think many people would argue that, you know, one and you're gone. Like, this is your job. First and foremost, You, you this is a requirement for you to be able to play on the tour. So I do understand, like, you know, sure, the agent can do it, but if I was getting even one strike, I would take over. Um, can you do it a lot in advance or do you do it day? Is it like an app or something you go on and say... Can you just say, right, I'm going to be in um, I'm going to be in Vancouver for a week. So for this whole week, I'm putting in five till six a.m. Or do you have or do you do it daily? How does it? Yeah, does yeah, it no, absolutely. You can do plenty of it in advance um, and you just sort of change it as you, as and when you get nearer the, the time and you know, you know what you're you know what your plans are going to be so you know, look, I, I, I absolutely sympathize with him because, you know, 18 months is uh, is huge for what's seemingly just being a little bit sloppy with with what he's doing but I agree being sloppy when you're already two strikes in is extraordinary um really and if there isn't any significant deterrent then everyone's going to get sloppy and it's going to become chaotic like if it's just oh you get a few months because you've missed three then what's the point in having three strikes you might as well make it five strikes um and you know the point is is that you don't know how many tests you're going to have so I do think that there should be a consideration, though, because you could have three strikes, for example, and you could have had five negative tests in between each strike through that year. So I do think that should be a consideration when the sort of the the punishment and the suspension is given. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be. I don't know what his situation was, but say he had 10 negative tests. I think you can be pretty confident that it's sloppiness and not um, and not somebody trying to avoid deliberately but as I say there has to be some sort of deterrent as in this is your job your job is to pass these tests so that you can play tennis the rules are very very clear um you know as I say you you do have to take responsibility for everything when you're an individual athlete that's just it and and it is um as yeah on your on your, when you know you're on your third strike and you've got last chance to to be a bit sloppy is quite exceptional so um and everybody knows how severe the punishment is. So it, it's dramatic and it will massively impact his career. And it's such a shame, like he was saying in his post explaining it, you know, he's at his career high ranking. I really feel for him. I really feel for him. But this is this is one of the most crucial parts of the job. And I just don't know whether he fully grasped that. Didn't you have an incident of a drug tester in the back of the car when you were taking a driving test? It's always stayed yeah, with me. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Because that's, that's the key is that, you know, you can't know that they're coming. <laughs> they have to appear out of nowhere and so how are they supposed to appear out of nowhere when they don't know where you are but imagine um, they're, going, you can, you they're, know. they're going mirror signal maneuver and you're looking in your mirrors and there's a drug tester at the back and no you've got you've got nothing to hide but driving tests are terrifying things i was terrified during my driving test and to look in the mirror and there's I don't know, someone you've never met waiting for your sample. I mean, I just, I, f- 
find that she really was, weird. She was very supportive. The issue was I just really <laughs> needed a wee because you have to you have to wait. You have you have to give a certain amount of sample, otherwise it goes as a down as an incomplete test. And again, you only get. To, to, to do three of those um it's a strike essentially so you have to be able to give them a certain amount it has to be in one sitting it can't you know it just all this sort of stuff so you have to wait until you really really need the loo <laughs> uh, which again is why it's helpful to do it between sort of 6 and 7 a.m because everybody needs a wee at that stage it's just a bummer if you've been awake early and you've already gone and then they, they arrive and you're like oh no and you only get a certain amount of time as well. They will only stay with you for, I think, no, but hang maybe on. three or four hours. If, if it's only a certain amount of time and, and you can't pee in that time, is that a strike? Because you were there. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's incomplete. Ah, so if you are there, but for some reason you can't pee, that would still go down as a missed test. Although they were with you and you were willing to pee for them, as it were. Yes. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to produce a sample. Um, so I can't remember how long it is. I feel like it's about four hours or something. Oh, you should be able to pee in four hours. Exactly. You can sit there drinking coffee, water, orange juice, whatever you want. But you have to be careful with water because if it's too diluted, then that doesn't count either. So that's another incomplete test. Oh, for heaven's sake. Can you imagine? Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. Look, it's stressful. It's stressful, but it is a fundamental criteria for being able to compete on the tour is you have to pass these tests you have to sign up to the whereabouts program to be able to compete and and that's just it but look i really feel for him yeah, it's rough absolutely it's rough absolutely. but and 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 there isn't going to be anything he can do about it the appeal system takes so long you know he might be able to get it reduced a little bit but i mean he's he's done for a season well i all this all this talk about peeing <laughs> i don't have someone from wada downstairs in my house but i might need to go and Go and have a pee. <laughs> you go uh, and pee. And, and then I've got to go and pick up the fellas from, from tennis camp and see if if they want to be the next Alcaraz. I'll be like, right, then I'll just have to have that conversation. Okay, so that might not happen. Probably not going to. But no, look, they've. you know what it's done? Another example of the boys enjoyed tennis. They kind of link it to be working in it. But even someone like Alcaraz, it's given him that, you know, they... We want to go and play like it. It's nice to see their excitement. Do you know what I mean? Saying, yeah, we want to play like him and jump around. And that's, you know, how you influence new generations. And that's how you bring new boys and girls through. So it, it, it's fun seeing them have that kind of energy because they've seen. And one thing, just quickly, my eldest, because there's only three minutes between them. I always forget my eldest, made a bet with his tennis coach at around, uh, I think it was like round a 16 stage, that Djokovic wouldn't win Wimbledon. It was five pounds. I don't know if I mentioned this. And his coach said, I can't believe his coach made a five pound bet with an eight-year-old. But anyway, that's another subject. Um, But they said, yeah, five pounds. And the coach said, Djokovic is going to win. My eldest said he's not going to win Wimbledon. He came home and I was like, what have you done? You've just lost a fiver. He's now gained a fiver because he's one of the only people in the world that bet against Djokovic winning Wimbledon. There you go. Smart, smart kid. I think he's inspired by Alcaraz as well. You're going to turn up and they'll be sliding in the corners on a hard court. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you want your lottery numbers done, let me know. And I, actually, I might play the lottery for the first time and, and get him to pick the numbers if he's on a roll. So, yes, I'm going to go and do that and then pick up the fellas. And um, but you're so you're back to overnights this week. You're continuing with overnights. Yep. Atlanta keeps on rolling. And then next week, I've got overnights for Mendoza with the paddle. So who knows when we'll speak again, but we will find a time when I'm going to probably be yawning because I'm going through the night, but we'll, we'll get it sorted. Excellent. Lovely. Have a lovely sleep before Atlanta again. <laughs> I will. I will. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bye.